welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as always, it's a pleasure to have your company. I have a very special guest this week, Jane Booth. Um, Jane is somebody I've known for a few years now, and she currently, apart from a million other things in her past work history, chairs the partnership board, uh, as used to be called the uh, Children's Safeguarding Board, in Bradford, uh, a city of huge diversity and at the moment under also uh, a degree of lockdown, which brings its own challenges with it. Anyway, welcome to the programme, Jane. Thank you very much, David. Nice to be with you. Now, I think just to set the scene, if you don't mind, could you just say a little bit about your road to where you are now in terms of professional kind of uh, the, the things you've been involved with, the work you've done and so on, because I know you've been involved in so many different things. It'd be great to just get a sense of it. Well, I, I started my career, David, in the probation service, um, what seems like a very long time ago now. Um, and I did that for probably seven or eight years, um, when, at which point I moved across into generic social work. Um, so initially covering children and adults on a locality basis. Um, I did mental health cases, I did children's work, I did adult care. It was the whole mix at that time. Um, during the um, early 1980s, I think, probably 84, um, you'll remember that um, after a, a, a serious case um, involving a child called Jasmine Beckford, the government set up um, new arrangements to safeguard the well-being of children who were in care, um, called Guardian Lighten Panels, and I joined those in the early 80s, mm. eventually running one of those in, uh, in West Yorkshire for a little while. Um, I also worked in London um, in the 80s, uh, in Hackney actually, um, as Child Protection Coordinator. Cool. Uh, we eventually came back up north, which is where I'm, uh, my home has generally been, um, and I worked for a number of local authorities in West Yorkshire, um, predominantly focusing on childcare at that time. Um, I eventually moved uh, into uh, Children's uh, Assistant Director Post in Kirklees, which um, is a, a, a local authority based around Huddersfield um, area. Um, and after that, uh, into Leeds City, where again I did generic management, not just children's. Um, okay. There I went to what was the Social Services Inspectorate. And, and eventually into the Child and Family Courts Advisory and Support Service. And I worked there until 2010, uh, finishing as Deputy Chief Exec um, and theoretically taking up retirement. But that's another story altogether. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I mean, I know you skimmed through it, but my goodness, that was a heck of a history in there. And you've actually obviously picked up so many kind of, not experiences, but also, I think, which is quite important, I think, networks people that you know, places that you can draw on, people that you can draw on. Um, I, th I think in the North particularly, David, the um, period of time I spent in the Social Services Inspectorate was really, really useful because um, I worked in the Northwest region, which is, I think, 22 local authorities, if you include the Isle of Man. Um, and so um, I got to go know an awful lot of people who were in sort of social care management during that time. Um, and that's really stood me in good stead. I've always felt as if um, you know, I, I knew people who could help me with anything, really. Well, that's, I mean, obviously, I know, in 2010, you just didn't go fishing. You know, <laughs> you, you've actually started doing a whole load of other things that culminated in you chairing various uh, children's safeguarding boards or partnership boards, as they are now called. 
I mean, what was the kind of which one since two ten did you did in well, um, the, the first board I took on um, was Calderdale, and at that time um, they they'd gone into what used to refer to as special measures. They'd had an adverse inspection, and um, I knew the um, director, um, and actually I reached out to say if there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Um, so I'd done a few a few reviews for them. I'd reviewed their uh, one or two services for them. And when the post of um, chair of the safeguarding board came up, I applied for him. That was the first one I took. Um, subsequently, um, I took on, there's a bit of a theme here about picking up authorities that have been in a bit of trouble. Um, because older there, um, I went to Rochdale as my next post. And um, that was in 2012, when, of course, their big series case review was just about to be published. Um, and so that was a very interesting time uh, to be in Calderdale. And actually, I stayed with them for... Um, longer than I ever intended to, um, and um, took on other boards as well. Uh, so Lancashire um, and um, both the adult boards as well as the children in Rochdale and Lancashire I did for uh, quite a few years really. Um, but as age approaches, I began to think I should uh, wind down a bit. Um, and so I've stood back from some of those. Um, but um, I suppose mirroring some of my earlier experience, Bradford popped up as another authority that was in a bit of difficulty. And I thought, well, I think I'll give this one my a go as probably my last board. Um, and I have to say that I, I love being with the Bradford board. Um, it's such an interesting place to be. The people are fabulous. Um, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. Yeah, I mean, get that, that range of boards. I mean, I think, Jane, it would be fair to call you a kind of a safeguarding board paramedic. <laughs> well, you do what you can, don't you, David? I mean, it's, it's been a privilege to be involved with all of them. Um, and one of the things about working, I think, with authorities who, who know they're in a bit of difficulty um, is that you absolutely get 100% commitment to moving things forward. People want to see things change. People want to see things improve. Um, and in some authorities, um, people also are prepared to put additional resources in to make that happen. So they've been really wonderful places to be. Okay, well, you know that I chaired a couple of boards myself, including, as you know, I was your predecessor at Bradford. But effectively, um, we all across the country, all hundred and however many boards there were, had a fairly radical change um, when Sir Alan Wood's report came out, um, tasked as he was to um, look into the whole presentation and setup of um, part well now what they're now called partnership boards including the everything from funding right down to actual kind of presentation. What's been your experience of the outcome of that for, um, all right, for multi-agency working in Bradford? Well, I think some, some of the changes have been positive. Um, I think some of them are still working their way through. Um, I think it, it um, I do support the notion that the three lead partners needed to sort of really um, step up to the plate and acknowledge their responsibilities in a way that it had been possible for them to avoid when the boards were uh, more independent. So now um, the local authority chief exec, uh, the divisional commander of police in our area and, and the chief executive of the clinical commissioning group um, form a strategic leadership group that meets periodically uh, to ensure that there's appropriate leadership and accountability in the boards. Previously, um, I used to meet with just the chief exec of the local authority. Um, and I think trying to balance that accountability is a positive move. 
Having mm. said that, I think it's taking some time to work itself through in most places. Um, and um, I, th I think that uh, certainly my experience is that the lead partners are still fairly reliant uh, on the business unit and the uh, whoever they've appointed as a scrutineer um, okay. mm. on leadership roles. Um, in my case, I'm, I'm, I'm described as the independent scrutineer of the partnership. Um, and so uh, I'm given a fairly free reign in terms of leadership as independent chair, um, but I've also got um, that sort of second emphasis on scrutiny. So I feel um, not at all constrained um, in terms of what I'm able to do. So I will, I am undertaking um, direct audits. I am involved in uh, scrutinising the quality of work um, in, a, in a different kind of relationship with the agencies than previously was my experience as a chair of an independent board. So I don't think it's all been bad news. I think some of it's been quite positive. No, I don't so think, it's, don't think it's bad news. Sorry. Uh, sorry, interrupted. Just, but just to say, I don't think it's bad. I wasn't suggesting it was bad news, but I do think it threw up some more challenges. And that's the thing. Maybe I could drill down a little bit and see what your thoughts well, are. Well, I, I, I think I, I thought it might be bad news when, when it was published, because I've always very much valued the independence of the board itself mm. um, and I was worried that that would be undermined in some way um, it hasn't been my experience that that's been the case um, but it always could be and of course we're now seeing some interesting things going on um, across professional networks that are challenging the status of the arrangements so for example an example is that um, GPs I think in Nottinghamshire uh, are, are seeking to establish themselves as as um, people who should be paid for their attendance and reporting to child protection conferences okay. on the basis that this is not something that every agency has to do for an independent body, but it's something they're being asked to do by the lead partners, and that's going to judicial review. Um, and that's very interesting, really, in terms of what it says about what they think the status of the partnership is. Do you think there's anything in it? I mean, I've got to, I've got to say, one of the things I thought would be a problem at the very beginning was that when Alan Wood said, okay, the, the three partners, essentially, you know, health, uh, local authority, and the police, uh, who is health? You know, who is going to, who is going to speak yes. for health? Because it's such a, a diverse range of disciplines, you know, that, that doesn't have a specific leader or leadership as such. But, I mean, you know, I couldn't imagine that some of these professional bodies wouldn't in some way find ways to feel either to feel slighted or to feel left out or to do some challenging and what you've just said maybe illustrates that a bit. Yes I mean it's um, I mean obviously the government eventually clarified the guidance and said by health we mean the clinical commissioning groups and mm. um, and the clinical commissioning groups are technically um, the body to whom the trusts are accountable um, for, for performance um, less so the GPs who are actually more directly accountable to NHS England. Um, so it does muddy the waters very considerably. But I think in most places, David, the partnerships have retained the presence of the wider health economy on the, on their partnership, in their partnership arrangements. We certainly have. So although we have the strategic leadership group, which is those nominated lead agencies, um, we also have a wider partnership group that still meets quarterly. Um, and we have all those relevant partners named um, right. as, as members of that so that we don't lose that relationship with them. 
Well, let me ask you one other thing then, because uh, I also know that one of the things that I felt was a, a real omission in terms of actually the structure um, was the fact that we had health, we had local authority, and we had the police, but we didn't have anything at a senior level in terms of education. And as most children spend sometimes more waking hours in school or college or whatever than they do with their own families, it did seem a strange way of kind of organizing things. Now, I don't know if that's settled down in, in, in your experience. Uh, no, for me, it hasn't yet. And we're still struggling to work out how we best manage our relationship with schools. Um, mm. We have named them as relevant agencies in terms of our partnership. Um, but I think it, it sort of reflects some of the difficulties that were created by the changes in the status of schools a few years ago. And yeah. um, so that, you know, for example, in Bradford, we have a lot of academy schools. Um, and quite a lot of them are uh, multiple school academies that cross local authority boundaries. So they're, they're not run, you know, and their relationship with the local authority is, is uh, very varied. So some of them are bought in to some of the local authority support services. Some of them are not at all. Um, and so if you ask yourself, well, who speaks for schools? Mm -hmm. it's, it's very hard to come up with a sensible answer. Do you find um, getting data does. from schools difficult? Do I find... Have you found getting data from schools difficult regarding their preparation for, for safeguarding? Um, we still send out, with um, support from the local authority, um, an annual audit about their safeguarding responsibilities. Um, you know, the, there's a bit of legislation, uh, an mm. education act with a section in it called 175, mm. that sets out what schools should be doing. And, and we still send out um, an audit tool and, and ask schools to return that, telling us you know, where they're up to and, and how robust they are. Uh, we have had one year, um, not, in, not the new partnership year, but the last year before, where the returns were not as good as they should have been. Um, and um, a little bit of a debate about, well, should schools be doing this or not? Shouldn't Ofsted be the only arbiter of whether they're good enough or not at safeguarding? But by and large, most of the schools um, do complete the audit. Um, we're working hard to make it more useful for them, not just useful for us okay. this year. So we're, we're hoping um, to develop an, a new online tool, actually in our area, that will cover the, the five West Yorkshire metropolitan districts. So we can do more analysis and, and more comparative stuff. Um, but I think it's really, really difficult to work out how best to relate to schools. Um, Before, it, we, yeah. easy. Before we come on to the kind of current difficulties, like, you know, how to deal with all of it in the, the whole of the COVID-19 crisis, I just, let me ask you a personal question, because it's something that I found sometimes difficult, sometimes okay. I mean, as an independent chair, as you are, um, sitting around a table uh, with leaders from all of these disciplines and all of the agencies who are used to making the decisions themselves. I, sometimes, sometimes it seemed very difficult to actually, um, if you like, kind of, um, what's the word, structure things in, in such a way or, um, you know, the, the, the whole decision-making process sometimes, because everybody sometimes brought to the table their own point of view and therefore the choreography uh, proved quite tricky. Now, I know that you've got a good reputation. I know that you've done well, but 
don't you find it difficult from time to time? Um, I, I I wouldn't like to say it was always easy, David. Um, but I think we've we've general we've not generally had big problems. We we generally seem to find that there is a consensus um, about the way forward. Um, there might be less of a consensus about the detail, um, but the general principles of what we should be doing and how it's best done. Generally, um, I don't find that there's any great difficulty in getting to that point. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's if, however, the, like lots of things, the devil can be in the detail, and particularly um, if the challenge is around um, an insufficient sort of priority being given to an area of work where new resources might be required. And of course, with austerity, everybody is uh, finding it very hard to release resources for any additional activities. Well, the funding um, think, issue is also a Yeah, the funding issue. And and that's one of the things that I was really disappointed with in terms of the Alan Wood reforms. Um, you know, I think everybody who had been in this field for years had felt that the government had dodged the issue by saying the partners will agree. You know, that's what it said about funding. <laughs> yes. The partners will fund and the partners will agree. Well, you know, that's, that's just pie in the sky, really. What that meant was, it, in reality, in most areas, the local authority picked up the vast majority of the uh, bill and the police and um, clinical commissioning group put a bit in and other people put tokens in. Um, yeah. And I had hoped that there would be some work done about, actually, uh, what does it cost to run a, a good, effective safeguarding partnership? And how is that money going to be found? And I was really hoping that the government would come up with some kind of a formula. Um, but what do we get? We get everybody will contribute and they will agree. And the wording actually is very difficult to um, challenge people on because I think the wording actually says something like um, that their contributions will be equal and proportionate. Well, for me, those can't go in the same sentence. They're either equal or they're proportionate. <laughs> I remember. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, you're bringing back really. memories here. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's a nonsense. So what's happened? Well, in my area, what's happened is that the budget has stayed exactly as it was before. Okay. Okay. Um, what about the commissioning side of the board? Now, it wasn't traditionally a task of the board to be a commissioner. Um, is it is developing that way? Well, I I think. It, it remains to be seen. I think in some areas it is. Um, I mean, the boards of the only thing that boards of generally all commissioned is training um, and multi-agency training at level three on mm. the basis that um, it was cheaper to do it once via the board than it was for all agencies to try and find their own way of doing multi-agency training. Um, at the moment, that uh, seems to me to be still continuing. Um, though there's no requirement on the partnership, the new partnership to provide training, requirement is to ensure that it is provided it's a slightly different thing altogether um but um in, it's it's been interesting i've recently been involved in a discussion about um uh, uh, an area where we want more resources put in and we've had quite an interesting debate really about whether um in looking for new funding that should be driven by the partnership or by the agencies and in the end um, we've, we've gone with one of the agencies taking a lead on it, but it was an interesting discussion. Um, and it may be, um, you know, that as a future opportunities arise, that we might as a partnership actually bid for, I don't know, Home Office grants or DFE grants or whatever. That would be interesting. To do more direct commissioning of things if the opportunity arises. Tell me this then, Jane, because one thing I always remember, uh, something, I, and I've got to hold my hands up, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if we did enough or... Uh, when I was around, 
but the public facing side of things the, the knowledge that the public has or doesn't have of what the board does mm. the, the, i think um yeah i think one of the uh, interesting things happening around the country is that uh, in most areas it's at the business end of the safeguarding partnerships is becoming combined across children's and adult services my experience is that, that the adult boards have been a bit better about engaging with communities and with service user voice and with the public than the children's boards have in the past Interesting. Um, it's um i mean it's it, but one of the problems for the children's boards previously of course is that um that no news is good news is it and so the things that the press have generally tended to focus on has been serious case reviews you know, where there's been some very sad incident involving either a serious injury or death of a child. Um, and so that tends to be all the public has heard in the past yeah. about safeguarding news. Um, I had an interesting experience in Lancashire and um, when we tried to turn that round um, and we, we engaged very proactively um, with the Lancashire Evening Press actually um, and, and we ran um, a, a series, uh, an item a month on their sort of social conscience pages, if you like. Um, and we tried to do things that were relevant to the season. So um, we did things like um, in the room at Christmas, we ran an article about uh, little batteries in toys and keeping your children safe from swallowing tiny batteries. And um, we did a, another one about um, a fire safety issues. So we tried to broaden the safeguarding agenda in the public's eye. But I have to say, I think most people still think about safeguarding children as child protection from abuse yeah. and neglect yeah. rather than that wider agenda well let me ask you this very well informed okay let me ask you this i mean this is a, an unashamed request from me to, to for you as the chair to have a quick look again because it was an unfinished business thing for me when i was chairing the board a couple of the pediatricians came to me and said look we've got things like supermarkets now taking cigarettes way back from the front of house. We've got supermarkets and others taking sweets, you know, and high sugary things mm. way back from the tills. But they're still pumping out analgesics on the the, the, the shelves with for where children can either get a hold of them or whatever. And we all know that the highest cause death rate in this country for teenagers is suicide. Yes. Apart from the figures which we had found great difficulty in getting from A&E departments about how many came in with analgesic overdoses. Mm. And I had written to the kind of relevant health bodies at the time, but it was a bit of unfinished business. And I just wonder if that's something you could have a look at. Yes. I mean, it's, um, certainly I'll talk to my colleagues, David, because if they were already raising that as an issue, it's, it's, um, it sort of slipped back somewhere. Um, so it hasn't well, been on our agenda, so certainly I'll have a look at it. Worth a think, yeah. Well, look, okay, the other thing about Bradford is it, is a, it was a pioneer when, in, in having um, safeguarding week in, where entire kind of um, people came together, voluntary sector, statutory sector and everybody, and putting things on for the public. I think that's got to be said, and that's, that's definitely they were a leader in that. Um, and secondly, Bradford is well known for being such a diverse community with 120 odd languages spoken and the, the juggling of priorities and, and kind of service um, availability to, to that number of communities. Actually, Bradford did do very, very well. 
But what of the, the voice of the children, which people keep talking about, you know, in terms of actually hearing the voices of the children that the board's there to, um, to actually represent? How have developments gone in that respect? Well, I'm not terribly far, I think, probably since you were here a couple of years ago, David. I mean, we still, um, we still engage with children around particular projects. Um, we had um, children, for example, redesigned our logo recently. We've got a new logo um, that a group of children um, designed for us and um, went out to a lot of children to vote on which one they liked best. And individual children, we monitor very carefully um, the extent to which the um, system, if you like, of child protection conferences and reviews for children who are looked after in the care of local authority engage with children. And here in Bradford, the numbers of children who are recorded as actively participating in those kinds of meetings is very high. Um, I think the, the diversity issue um, makes Bradford a really rich cultural place. It's not, it's not um, something that, is, that I see being raised as this is a problem. I think there is a genuine um, belief and experience of this being a really positive uh, element of our community. Mm. And, and I have mm. to say that across the agencies, the workforce is also very diverse. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, and it's, um, it's one of those areas where uh, a lot of, an awful lot of people speak the community languages, a lot of professionals speak the community languages, and uh, translation services are readily available in most instances. Um, children, of course, generally uh, communicate in English anyway. Uh, once they get into school, they're, they're mostly speaking English. They may not be speaking it at home, but they're speaking it in their community. Um, and uh, a lot of the schools are really, really good at capturing children's uh, voice for us and participation. Mm -hmm. We have a member of staff who, uh, who's, who's part of whose role is dedicated to engagement. Um, and uh, a lay member on the board who's also supporting her with some of that work, mostly in schools, but also in um, youth settings. Brantford oh. Council... Very well, mm. Bradford managed to keep some of its youth service going as well, um, which has not been the mm. case everywhere with Astority. A lot of no, places have lost that. their youth service, but mm. Bradford actually has quite well, I think, a youth service to be proud of. Um, okay. Although okay. It did I'd heard about youth services. It's still very vibrant. Yeah. And yeah. um, so, you know, we, we can access children through a number of routes where they're um, already engaged with services in a positive way, and that makes a Tell us a cup for a couple of minutes then, Jane, because we can't avoid it, because the extra challenge that the, the, the COVID-19 virus has brought to bear on kind of service delivery and monitoring and so forth. I mean, well, how how's it been in Bradford? Well, uh, much I expect we share experiences common with lots of other people right at the start in, um, in March and April. Um, contacts with the local authority um, regarding concerns about children just dropped off completely as children went out of sight um, and um, it's taken um, until about the middle of August um, for those to uh, to get back up um, that in itself is a worry because we know that those a lot of those children were still invisible and yet mm. the referrals in, into the services were coming back up the hospitals would say um, that they have seen um, fewer children but more serious injuries than they would normally expect. That's interesting. Uh, the authority would say that whilst their contacts have begun to sort of level up to what they were before um, the lockdown, um, that the complexity and the seriousness of the cases has increased. And my fear is 
um, that those sort of cases that are not at that extreme level um, are actually still hidden. And so last week and this week, when the schools get back, um, are important times. So on um, Wednesday next week, we're, we're doing a, a data session to look at what's coming through as of the restart of the school term. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Um, the police domestic figures are back at what they were, if not just a little bit above what they were before the lockdown. Um, we haven't seen the alarming rises that some areas have. Um, but we're also fortunate that Bradford's actually put some additional resources into support around domestic abuse. Um, so they're ready, if you like, for a bit of an avalanche. Um, it's, it's a worrying time and I think there will be lots of children with, whose hidden stories are yet to be told. Okay, a couple of quick things then, if I might, um, before I ask about the visionary Jane Booth. Um, I, I believe that the national panel that's been actually put together to look at um, serious cases, how has that been working so far in your experience? Well, it's been interesting, she says. <laughs> um, we've, we've had some very active dialogue with the national panel. Um, because uh, we, we've not found ourselves always in agreement. I mean, I very much welcomed the increased flexibility that the new arrangements gave us um, around the way in which we do reviews um, and the slightly um, changed criteria um, that meant we could make different decisions from some cases previously where we'd felt the need, you know, we, when we'd been told we had to do a review, where actually we felt there was nothing to learn and we would have chosen not to, we'd have chosen to do something else. Um, we are still having sort of fairly robust discussions with the national panel and I find that they are being more conservative um, about the way in which reviews should be done than we had hoped. Um, we are using the new rapid review process and that works well for us. Um, and we've got at least one example and possibly more where actually all the learning has emerged during the course of the rapid review and we've wanted to move on um, to action planning and, and improve practice improvements. And, and we've certainly got one at the moment where we're in dialogue with the panel where my view is we don't, you know, it's all there to be seen. We can get on with the work and the panel want us to do an in-depth review that will take us several months. Um, and uh, and those, those conversations are active and interesting, but um, it uh, remains to be seen how, how it progresses. Okay. Let's sum it up then, if we could, Jane, by offering you... Um, the magical opportunity to have mm. a blank, blank sheet of paper. Um, and the, you've commissioned, if you like, to kind of um, to draw the next five years in terms of, if you like, safeguarding, because uh, there is no uh, formal inspection anymore of the board, is there? No, there um, isn't. Neither is there a common quality assurance framework, uh, which is mm. one of my disappointments with the Woodruff films as well. You know, that I had hoped that that we would be exhorted to use a similar set of criteria to quality assure the services of the local agencies. But we're all doing our own thing, which is a lost opportunity in my view. If I had my magic one, David, um, I think I would, I would continue to try and push for resources to focus on early intervention. Um, and I think it is, a, you know, in some areas, the partnerships are more interested in early intervention than in others. Some are focusing very much on the child protection, child abuse end of the spectrum. Um, I think that's a mistake. I think partnerships ought to be looking at the full spectrum of, of uh, how effective prevention is and what the relationship is between early prevention services 
child protection cases and children having to come. Do you feel that there's some kind of um, circle going on here? I mean, I've got to say, I did an awful lot of work and I ran a couple of conferences with Tessa Jowell. Yeah. In her day, in terms of the, who of course did the Sure Start of the Sure Start yes. program. And we're talking about the first thousand days of a child's life from a conception right through to age two being the vital times for the creation of the adult to come, for the, for the protection of the child, for the family or unit, the whole thing. Yeah. And it kind of seems to have got so wobbly over the years. It's drifted in, it's drifted out. And now, of course, people like yourself who have seen the necessity for that are, of course, advocating again, but it doesn't seem to be a universally accept thing, accepted thing that that's where the resources should go. I think the problem is that because they don't have a, a statutory basis, uh, when local authorities are driven to making the kind of cuts that they've had to do, um, in some areas, actually, there's nothing left um, but the statutory services. Mm. And so you, know, you can't, there's nothing else they can pare down. They've got to take the non-statutory stuff, and that's been a real um, disadvantage for a lot of children in, in some areas. I mean, what I would say is that I think our understanding has also improved about what helps in terms of early help. So I think, you know, the, the your, your listeners are probably uh, familiar with the Adverse Childhood Experiences research, the ACEs research, and my view is that you need to couple early intervention for children with work on um, their parents' adverse childhood experiences, um, and that those two strands together are the things that would really make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jane, I'm afraid we've come to the end of the time and it's I mean I know because I, I know you you've got so much more that you could talk about but I just I'm afraid we're at the end of the program and so thank you very very much I wish you well during this whole kind of COVID crisis I wish Bradford well and I hope you carry on um, developing services there um, to the best of everybody's ability and thanks ever so much for being on the program okay you're welcome <laughs>